0: Let me invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 3. Once again, my name is Wilson Van Hooser, and I'm the campus minister for RUF here at Oklahoma State. And uh, we're excited, as Grace Church, it's a privilege to, to have this opening sermon for it. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series, as Mattia had mentioned, called Who is God? And uh, this is going to go throughout the entire summer. And we're very, very excited about this series because it's where we get to see the foundation of all Christianity. It's God because Christianity starts with him. And I love what uh, several of you probably heard this quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer. Here's what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that's why we want to think rightly about who God is. And we want to see the privilege and uh, the, the practice of what it is to study who our God is. So, John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ. For Were it not for him, we would not be able to know you rightly. And even... If you were to reveal more about yourself apart from him, it would frighten us. But we need mercy. We are a people in a perilous condition. For we have rejected you, the one true God. And we're asking that by your mercy, that you would give us that divine craving of you. To know you. To behold you. To live in light of you. To study you. You are the chief and supreme good. So would you, as it were, wet our appetite this morning and send us into this summer praising you, knowing you, living in light of you. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. So do it through the preaching of the Lord. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I remember one time when I was at uh, my parents' house and my dad had a very expensive bottle of wine and he also had a very cheap bottle of wine and he had offered me to taste both of them and he didn't tell me which one was which and so i tasted one and then i tasted the other and he said all right which one's better and i said well i think you know this one number 2 or whatever it is is better and he said oh that's interesting because that bottle was about $8 the other bottle was not And because I'm not someone who is a wine connoisseur or whatever, I don't don't delight in all the intricacies of wine. Maybe some of you do, but I can't taste that. Now, when it comes to brisket, (laughs) it's a little bit of a different story. Because... I've gotten to know a little bit more uh, about brisket and what people do and the different processes, and I've tasted it, I've experienced it, and I've tried to make it better and better for our students, such as nights like Monday night for table talk. Now, here's the difference between those two things. One of them I know very well. The other I don't. And because I know brisket more than wine, I enjoy brisket better. And not wine as nearly as much as maybe how some of you enjoy it because you know more about it. You see, the more knowledge you have of something good, the more you enjoy it. The more knowledge we have of God, the more we enjoy him. But here's what's different between God versus wine and brisket. God is not and cannot be a hobby. God is the purpose of life. God is the reason why we exist. Or, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, "What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever." That's your purpose. That's why RUF exists. That's why Grace Church exists. You see, and you might you might be having a couple different. There might be a couple different worldviews in here. Maybe there's the worldview some of you have where uh, life is random. We come from nowhere, we're going nowhere, so it doesn't really matter as long as you just delight in any desire that you have. And whatever you do, don't say no to those desires. There's another worldview that could embrace more of the evolutionary mindset where as long as humanity keeps pressing on, goes beyond the limits. We must keep evolving and there can be no limitations, no rules because that's only hindering us because that's where we need to go. But there can also be some Christians with certain functional worldviews. You might not admit it, but you might live this way where you think, okay, well, as long as I just am saved, it doesn't really matter if I know God. It doesn't really matter if I grow in theology. I can coast. Or there might be Some of you who say, okay, well, you know, knowing God is good, but we don't really need as much theology. We just need to do stuff. The world needs more doing. Or the fifth one, you might be the opposite way where you're very content with head knowledge, but you have no heart knowledge. All five of these can only be helped by a true And robust and experiential knowledge of God. Because when you know God, then you will have the right worldview. So if I can make a catchy phrase for this morning, although he's not a hobby. But the study of God, is it like wine to you or is it like brisket? We're going to look at four different things. The privilege to study God. The peril of not studying God, the practice of studying God, and the paradise of studying God. If you look back in John chapter 17, verse 3, our verse here is Jesus praying on the night uh, that he would be betrayed. And he gives this very interesting statement here. This is eternal life. This is the quality of it. This is the essence of it. This is what it is. And what is it? That they may know you. That's why we were made. We were made to have the privilege of studying God. God is the God who has existed for all eternity. If you flip to the very beginning of your Bible, you don't have to, but you will see that it will begin this way. In the beginning, God. He has always been. And he has always been the great attraction. He has always been the infinite one who has always been satisfied in himself. But out of the overabundance of who he is, he creates. Now, here's the thing. God was never lonely. God does not need us. So merely creation is a gracious act. God creates and it is all of grace. And he creates a world that is meant to glorify him. In other words, this world. And everything that happens in this world does not make sense when you forget the creator. In the popular novel, the science fiction novel, Ready Player One, you'll see that that principle at play where there's the creator of what would be their metaverse. And the creator of, of that uh, world, but when the creator in this novel, in this story, when the creator is forgotten, they don't interpret that world rightly. It's the same thing with this world. When we forget our creator, we will not interpret life rightly. He's the maker. He's the creator. And he's made this world to glorify him. And part of the ways in which we're able to glorify him is seeing how he has revealed himself. Once again, God's revelation is all of grace. We do not discover God. He reveals himself. Or we can put it this way. Theology is received. It isn't retrieved. It is revealed. It isn't realized. God's the infinite one. He is the transcendent one. He reveals himself to us. And he's made that revelation so that as we know him, we might enter into relationship with him. That's the way the world was made. We were made to know him. We were made to delight in him. We were made to live in response to who he is. And as we know God, that relationship would overflow into all of life. It would overflow into knowing who you are. It would overflow into knowing who others are and how to love other people well. It would overflow in our, our interaction with the very world, the animals, the birds, whatever it is. It would help us know our purpose. You see, when you know God, or as it were, the knowledge of God is the foundation of the house. And if that foundation is not there, then the house will not stand you see, and what God does in the very beginning in Genesis chapter one and two, you see that God sends his people out into the world to be the prophets, priests and kings to go and spread God's truth, to show the world who he is, to to be the intermediary between God and the world and to rule properly over creation. It's all about God. That's. The privilege of studying God and when we remember, when we remember how this world is made, what this world is meant to be, then it should be less like wine in my perspective and more like brisket. But nevertheless, we know the world did not stay that way. There is the peril of not studying God. You see in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan tempts Adam and Eve. Adam close by, he he whispers these words to Eve and he says, look, if you take the fruit of the knowledge of uh, the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, he says this, you will be like God. Now, isn't that interesting? Because how did God make man in his image? We were already like God in that sense. But Satan tempts us to not just be like God, but to be God. And we bought it. And in Adam, we all sinned. And when the fall happened, it says that Adam and Eve, they hid themselves from God. And actually, as you read that, that should startle you. Because throughout the first two chapters, God, He speaks things into existence. And He says, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And then finally with man, and it was very good. And then all of a sudden, tragedy happens. God and man, ...are now not good. They are kicked out of the garden. The relationship broken. And sin has now turned us downward and inward rather than upward and outward. You see, here's an example of what's happened. Plants will grow towards the light. The dominant light that is feeding them, they will grow towards that light... And before the fall, we were growing towards God, but then a lesser light came about. And now we grow towards it. But that lesser light can never do what the light can do. You see, we see the effects of the fall merely in this. Think about our prayer life, how little. We spend time in praising God for who He is and what He's done versus how much we simply ask things for ourselves. There are the the trickle effects of the fall. You see, when we lost that relationship with God, when that relationship was broken, it inevitably mars and distorts your view of self. When you lose the foundation, when the foundation cracks The walls will crumble. And when that foundation of the knowledge of God is is broken, we don't know ourselves the way we should know ourselves. And then we don't relate to others the way we should relate to them. We don't respond to the world the way we should respond to the world. We, We don't know our purpose. And this is very easily seen in just this simple cultural trend right now. This confusion of sexuality. Make no mistake about it. The problem is the lack of the knowledge of God. That's at the core. Because of the fall, we have depraved heads, depraved hearts, and depraved hands. Romans 1 says that because of sin, we've traded the knowledge of God for the things of this earth. That's the core problem. That's why we want to do this sermon series, is because everything starts with the knowledge of God. Here's what one thing, another thing that has come about because of the the peril of not studying God, the rejection of God, is that we've sought our own glory. Here's what John Calvin says. In this ruin of mankind, no one now experienced God either as father or as author of salvation or favorable in any way until Christ the mediator comes forward to reconcile us to Him. You see, without Christ, the knowledge of God will, will and should frighten you. It should make you want to hide. Because now God and you, because of sin, are not good. And God, when He reveals Himself, reveals Himself as the revelation of the law. And He is saying, look, you must do enough. You must be enough because He will not be unjust. He must punish sin. And that's part of the tragedy that happens is that when we forget God in light of Christ, he's only terrifying to us. That's actually what happens in the letters to the Galatians and the Colossians. The letter of the Colossians can be summarized simply in this. Don't get distracted. Stay focused on the gospel. There can be many other things that the world will proclaim. Don't get distracted because when you get distracted, you inevitably will live wrongly. When we forget who God is in the head, we won't feel the way we should feel in the heart and we won't live the way we should live by the hands. We end up trying to be enough, do enough, and we fool ourselves into thinking that we actually can. That's the problem of the world. We're all trying to answer to some law. We're all trying to be somebody, do something. And it It either burdens us because we realize we can't or it fills us with self-righteousness because we have the audacity to say that we're actually doing enough. See, often ways it comes about by saying this, if I could only just have knowledge of blank, then that'd be enough. And often it's this way in today's world. If I can just know me, then that'll be enough. But once again, let me quote John Calvin. No man can survey himself without turning his thoughts towards the God in whom he lives and moves. It is evident that man never attains a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and then come down after such contemplation to look into himself. You cannot know yourself until you know God. On paper, Michael Hillis was a a really good pilot. We have some pilots in here. Shout out to you aviation students. But then things went wrong, and even though the 29-year-old captain was skilled in certain areas, he tensed up in this one moment. And as he's flying, at exactly 30 seconds after 6.33 p.m., two minutes and four miles from the airport, a panel light in the cockpit lit up. Hillis and his co-pilot, Matthew Saylor, had been trained to recognize the light as a signal that an engine had quit. But quickly, they set about determining which one, but when they were doing that, they forgot to fly the plane. And at 1,400 feet, the plane began to drop fast, and Hillis and Sailor reacted immediately, but it was too late And the plane smashed into the woods and 15 of the 20 people aboard died, including Hillis and Saylor. Investigators, pawing through the rubble, came to a surprising conclusion. Neither of the plane's engines had failed at all. Most likely, the light was faulty. It's a tragedy. It's a real-life tragedy. But it is also a good picture of this. The The world will flash these lights at us saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, buy into this, embrace this. But when you forget the main thing, your life will crash. It's the peril of our condition is that we've rejected God to pursue these other things. But if you're never reconciled to God through Christ, your life will crash. That's the horror of the story that we're living in. But there is hope. There is the renewed practice of studying God. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about here in John seventeen three. He's saying, look, here's what I've come to do. Here's what I've come to restore. I've come to show you who God is. And I've come to show you who he is by showing you myself and showing you what I am doing. And that's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is the revelation of God. Hebrews one verse three says, "He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of His power." How were you made? You were made in the image of God, right? Well, Jesus is the image of God. If you know Jesus, you know God. That's who he is. And he's come to reveal who God is. That's what John says in John chapter 1 verses 14 and 18. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that that the word dwelt among us. Literally that word in the Greek means he tabernacled amongst us. He is the Old Testament God in our flesh. That's crazy. Then in verse 18 it says this. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, talking about Jesus has made him known. Do you want to know God? you got to know Jesus. That's what the word is saying. The greatest need of all humanity, whether you're a college student or you're in retirement, whatever it is, the greatest need of all humanity is the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. But how? How do you know that God? Through the gospel. Through the gospel of grace. Not Trying to do enough, not trying to be enough. Because you know what? You never will. But Jesus Christ, he is the one who is enough. Psalm 111 verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. But we don't delight in God very much. Let's be honest. Here's who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the one who. Who perfectly delighted in the Father. Perfectly delighted in the works of the triune God. That's what his whole life was about. And he did it perfectly. And that's what's so amazing. You are not enough. But he is. Amen. You're not enough. But he is. And because he is. He goes to that cross. And he takes our place and He is separated from the Father. He is treated the way we should be treated. God pours out His wrath upon Him so that He might save us. Why does Jesus stay up on that cross? Because He loves you so much that He wants you to know God. He's come to restore that. He's come to give us what we desperately need. And now we begin to see this as as the apostles and the New Testament writers begin to reflect on this. They realize that when you get Jesus, you get God. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get God. You might have head knowledge. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. But when you get him, you get everything that comes with God. By the way, that's infinite. See, when we get Jesus, when we are united with Him, we become renewed. We're not perfect, not in this life. We have renewed heads, renewed thinking, renewed hearts, renewed hands, and we 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 learn, it's hard, but but we learn to live more in light of who God is. And as I try to tell the students a lot, you know, some people will say, Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, that's who we are, but we're learning. And we learn more the more we know who he is. And as we learn more about who he is, as we learn this foundation of who God is, we begin to understand who we are. And then we begin to understand who others are. and We begin to understand how to relate to this world and our purpose in life and our identity in Christ. And we can stop doing this. We can stop trying to be enough because he is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, the way to love God is to begin to know God's love to you. Amen? Do you want to love God better? Stop looking at yourself and saying, "Ah, come on, just get it together. Drink deeply of his love for you. Drink deeply of the gospel. Drink deeply of who he is for you in Jesus Christ. And that produces love. Michael Horton also says this. A disciple of Christ is a student of theology. Theology is just merely the the study of God. He goes on to say this. Although the biblical concept of discipleship surely means more than study. It does not mean less. We cannot claim interest in God or the Bible while regarding doctrine as insignificant. One of the biggest tragedies in the modern church today is that we have the audacity to say that a theologian is someone who is merely academic or who is vocationally writing about theology. And that is utterly false. That vocation exists. But every Christian, as R.C. Sproul says, every Christian is a theologian. All of us are meant to pursue God. How crazy would it be if in my marriage with grace, we got married and I said, I'm done getting to know you. I just got this part and we're good. You would say, that's wild. And that's inevitably not going to be good. Why do we only picture that logic in marriage and not with the Lord? But what Jesus Christ has done for us, He's revealed to us who the Lord is so that we might know Him, so that we might study Him. Because when we study our God, we feast. It's like brisket. It's amazing. When we feast upon God, we delight in Him. We live life in light of Him. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, 8-10, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. now, because you don't have to be enough, because you never will, and you still have to remember that as a Christian, because Christ is enough for you, you can relate to God via gospel, not law. Romans 8.1 says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. So when you are constantly examining yourself, yes, we self-examine, but if you're primarily examining yourself, you're actually not exhibiting faith. Faith is the whole thing basic premise of it is looking outward. Is trusting who God is for you. So dear Christian, we need to learn to look less at self as as Robert Murray McShane says, for every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Examine Him. Study Him. Embrace Him and realize the graciousness of grace that is in Him because now in Christ, God delights in us. It's as we know God in this way that it will change the way we treat each other in marriage. When we know God in His grace, it will change the way children love their parents. It'll change the way how employees respond to intolerable bosses or how bosses treat their irritable employees. It'll change the way you respond to injury or illness. It'll change the way when you view bad grades that you get or when you get fired from work. It'll change the way you view anything from a dearly beloved pet dying to a child or a spouse dying. It'll change the way you interpret the world's events and it'll change the way you interpret the local news. Knowing God and His grace will change the haunting of the past and the daunting of the future. And when you know God and his gospel, it heals you from the curse of sin. And you find that he is your greatest treasure. And it will also prepare you for death. Here's what one of my seminary professors used to say. That ministry is preparing people to die well. Ministry is preparing people to die well. And how do we prepare each other to die well? By knowing the grace of God in Christ. Amen. That's actually what Kevin Van Hooser, no relation, he spells his with a Z. The S is clearly superior. Um, Kevin Van Hooser and Owen Strachan says this, Success in ministry is determined not by numbers such as people, programs, and dollars, but by the increase of people's knowledge and love of God. If RUF is going to be successful, if Grace Church is going to be successful, it starts and it saturates everything in the knowledge of God of God in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. When we know God, when we know Him in Christ, another incredible thing it does is it gives us finally a peace of conscience. Satan loves to twist God's truth. He loves to quote God, but out of context. He loves to take certain statements, but to an extreme. Or he loves to water them down. He loves to twist God's character to make God look frightening. Rather than reconciled. And what he does is that he loves to afflict the conscience. And some of you, several of us, and not all of us in here, struggle with this at some level. You see, ask yourself the question, do you often picture God as a monster? That when you begin to think about him... Or when you have sinned, that you're frightened to go to the word. Or you're frightened to even walk in these doors because of something you did last night. But see, who God is in the gospel for the Christian. God is a God of grace. Samuel Rutherford says this, believe nothing evil in God. Here's what happens whenever we picture God as a monster. I've used this word several times. Some of you laughed at me for it, but it's a great word. It's this German word that Luther used called Onfectungen. And it is this grand mixture of anxiety, depression, shame, melancholy, spiritual warfare, all these things wrapped up in just one crazy storm. Bob Kellerman, a biblical counselor, he says this, Onfectungen is the image that captures the idea of an angry, finger-wagging, judgmental, harsh, condemning, aloof, holy God. In other words... When you live in the terror of who God is and you feel like you're constantly having to examine your life saying, I'm not doing enough, then, dear Christian, you're not picturing God and His gospel rightly. If that's the only way you picture Him. Uh, another biographer of Martin Luther says this, Onfectungian is the grinding sense of being utterly lost. By it, He intended the idea of swarming attacks of doubt that could convince people that God's love was not for them. Do you feel that way? First off, welcome to the club. You've committed treason from Satan's kingdom to come to the kingdom of light. He's not going to not attack you. He cannot take away your salvation. But he will do all it takes to destroy the experience and the joy and the peace of your salvation. That is where much of our anxiety and despair can come from. But dear Christian, look to who Jesus Christ is. The gentle and lowly one. Jesus Christ is no different than the God who is in heaven. That is your God. Amen? It's like learning a new playbook. I remember when... I was a senior on the football field at Tulane and we had gotten a new head coach and he came in with his new playbook. And that meant that I had to unlearn the playbook that we had for the previous three years and, and learn the new playbook and the new techniques and the new style. And it was until I learned that that then, then I could enjoy playing on the field. But until then, it was, it was going to be hard and it wouldn't make sense you see, when we go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we've got to learn God's playbook. We have to learn His ways. We have to unlearn the old ways. But there's a grand difference. God's not yelling at you like a coach. He's actually wooing you. He's not looking at you, giving you some very obscene nicknames as can happen on the football field, but rather He's calling you child, son, daughter, He's willing you to Him. And we have to learn more of His ways. And when we learn more of His ways, then we can enjoy it. Then we can use it. Then we can help others. And that's when it becomes more like brisket as opposed to wine. Here's what happens in the great day of glory. The paradise of studying God. In Revelation 21 verse 3 and Revelation 22 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Do you know where we're going? Do you know what the Bible proclaims that what our worldview should be? That one day, we will be with God in glory. And we will know him because we will see him. Sin will fall away. We'll no longer be haunted by the past and the future will no longer be daunting because in Christ, we will be there in glory. And we'll forever be able to study our God. You might say, that sounds really boring. God is infinite. Do you think studying the infinitely good one could ever logically possibly get boring? The delight in who God is, and as we delight in the community with believers, as we study who our God is, it will be what this life could never give us. That's why Jesus also prays in John 17, verse 24. He says this, Father, I desire, and this word for desire means a deep, deep will. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, listen to this, that they may be with me where I am. Why does he want us to be with him? Here's what he says. So that they may see my glory. What makes heaven heaven is the place where we see Full glory of Christ, Amen. There's nothing like it. It'll be like knocks in the candy store. Look, Daddy. Oh, look, Daddy. <gasps> Daddy, look. Do you imagine the delight, the childlike delight? Look, look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Have you heard this story of what happened in her life? Have you seen the work of God in his life? Eternity. The study of God. It'll be like brisket. Less like wine. Albert Einstein once said this. Our situation on this earth seems strange. Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay without knowing the whys or the wherefores. Wow, that sounds horrible. That sounds really depressing. Why would you want this type of a life? But the life that the gospel offers you is a life that brings you into a grand narrative, a grand story, a story where you can know your God, where He wipes away all of your sins, and He brings you home, not because you're good enough, but because Jesus Christ is. And you might say this, well, I don't want to be told that I'm wrong. But brother and sister, isn't it better to be told that you're wrong to then be told how you can be in the right? You might say, well, I don't want to lose the joy and comfort and the identity that I have right now. But here's the thing. You'll never find it in your life right now. But you'll find it in Jesus Christ. Believe Him. Trust Him. Take Him. And He'll give you the life that you've never dreamed of. You might not see it yet. But it's coming. Believe in Him and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for revealing Yourself. We praise you that you are our God and that you have delighted to bring your revelation to us all the way in 2022 in Stillwater. We praise you for what you're doing in and through RUF on this campus and in and through Grace Church in Stillwater. And as these two combine together, how you will show your glory to the world wherever we go. But would you help us to crave the knowledge of you in Jesus Christ? we would crave the gospel rather than trying to be enough. And that when we do that, as we study your love, we might live in light of your love. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.